Hey, everybody. It's Will, and I'm very excited today to have Karen Hoskin on the phone. Uh, Karen and her husband Bryce co-founded Montana Distillers, and they're in Crested Butte, Colorado. And they started in 2008 in Silverton and, and moved a few years later to Crested Butte. But So 10 years in, uh, congratulations, Karen, on 10 years of doing something I know you love, and, and thanks for taking the time to do this today. Thanks for having me. So, okay, take me back to the start. What what prompted um, you all to, to get a rum distillery started out in Silverton, Colorado back in 2008? Well, I was a professional graphic designer and web designer for about 12 years with my own company. And I literally woke up one morning on vacation um, and I said to my husband, I was like, I can't do it anymore. Um, I was pulling all-nighters and working long hours um, back when I had small children at home and I was um, building everybody else's kind of beautiful entrepreneurial dream. Um, and at the end of every project, I would hand it all over and it would be theirs. And I would start again with some other customer and, you know, do their website, do their logo, do their marketing campaigns or design their trade show booths or whatever. And it was fun and I loved the work, but I just really wanted to keep something at the end of the day. Like I wanted to use all those skills towards something of my own. And we just happened to be at a moment in time where his company was doing really well um, and could support us. If I sent off all my customers and said, I'm done. Um, And so it was really my love of rum that, that, took that direction of graphic design and brand building and led me into having a rum distillery. Um, I was at that time when I had that epiphany, I was on a beach in Belize. Um, and there's, you know, not fabulous rum in Belize, but there's good solid rum in Belize. And we were drinking Guatemalan rum and then we went to Guatemala and I came to understand this mountain tradition of rum distilling in Guatemala um, and I've been a huge rum fan for about 30 years of my life. I had my first good rum on a beach in India, of all places, and I have been a fan of the spirit for a very long time and have kind of become a connoisseur at that point 10 years ago. I'd really found my favorites and could tell you a lot about how they were made. And um, my husband said, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to make rum. Uh, and four months later, we opened the doors of a distillery. And luckily, you know, he had this other company that was taking most of his full-time energy and attention, but he was able to really help me with a lot of the elements of, you know, plumbing and and designing um, kind of the how the distillery worked, things that are not so much in my wheelhouse. Um, and then about five Four years ago, he came on full-time with Montagna, and he's been part of the company ever since. So, um, yeah, it's been a wild ride, and we've grown a lot in the last 10 years. We're now shipping rum to 44 states and overseas to Spain and Italy and Germany and um, the U.K. and Singapore. And <laughs> um, So it's been, a, it's been a crazy go of things, but we love it. And it's the most fun I've ever had doing anything. And at the end of the day, it's mine. I get to keep it. So That's fantastic. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I'm okay. I have to, I, mean, I am blown away 
idea to I want to do this to four months later you open your doors? Yep. I know. Well, it's crazy. How? How did I mean it seems like there I mean I don't know enough about the facilities. It seems like there'd just be so much time to plan, buy equipment and um tell me about that. And I know you mentioned earlier before we started recording you had you had been you were just off off the phone with an investor, so um did you go get investors right away or how did that all work? No, not right away, not for about five years. Um you know, ten years ago there was not such a groundswell of craft stilling in the United States. We were one of the first probably five craft stillers to come online in in Colorado. Uh, there weren't very many nationwide. So all of our process was really quick. We we applied for our TTB permit, you know, which is the Tax and Trade Bureau. That's the big licensing federal entity for distilleries. And we applied for our um, state, you know, licensing. And we just, you know, it was a lot of paperwork. And I was pretty used to doing paperwork, and so was my husband at that point. We were, you know, we were not scared off by paperwork. So we did a lot of that, and then we did a lot of research, and we pretty quickly honed in on what type of still we wanted to use. And I went to Maine to visit a small winery in Maine that was using the still and distilling some brandies. Um, and I got to see the still operating in person and, and check it out and decide that, yes, this was the direction that we wanted to go. And within six weeks, we had a hand-hammered, beautiful copper still from Portugal, you know, coming off a truck uh, direct from the from the family makers in rural Portugal. So it, it really was a lot of um, just shoulder to the wheel at that point. I kept my day job for a long time, uh, more than a year. My husband had his other day job. Um, really what we had to do was find a place. And I think the the biggest challenge for a lot of distillers is finding physical space that, that meets their needs and the requirements of the law. And we found this incredible old, for, you know, the bordello back at, you know, the late 19, the late 1800s. And it had four foot thick, stone walls and so the biggest issue in distilling is fire code and you know we had four hour firewalls on this building there was no concern about having to put in a sprinkler system or having to deal with all those issues that our peers deal with so we found space quickly we rented it we didn't have to do a whole lot of renovation Um, and we out of the gate I mean I probably put fifty thousand dollars in out of my own pocket um, and it wasn't until about five years later when we were starting to add another still and grow the business and move it and go from 800 square feet to 5,800 square feet that I started to really feel the pinch of the cash flow and just not being able to do everything out of pocket. Um, and, and so I went out and very quickly got five uh, investors who came in and and gave us the, the equity in the company that we needed to, um, you know, to turn some cash around and and start really building inventory finally. So now we have you know floor to ceiling storage of barrels like you see in a lot of pictures of real mm. distilleries. <laughs> um, back in the day, we had you know we were like climbing over them uh, to get to our bottling line and our fermentation tanks were in the basement where there was a dirt floor and it was 
you know, we started out really kind of by the seat of our pants, um, but you'd be surprised to know that looking now at what we have. From the very first day, we had a bar, um, a rum bar that we opened alongside the distillery, and that was really, that had never been done before. There were some distilleries that had tasting rooms that would serve you a, you know, a cocktail, but we were really the pioneers of the craft cocktail bar uh, co-located with a craft distillery, and um, we've built that into quite an operation. We now have a full-scale 100-seat rum bar and restaurant, full-scale farm-to-table restaurant with a chef, and that's come a long way as well. That's fantastic. So, I mean, okay, so you open um, and you start distilling your rum. Where are you selling it? Who, who's Are you just selling it to local <clears throat> restaurants or do you have the ABC board out there? I'm, I know that everything just varies so much by state, but um, yeah, how are we, you making money? <laughs> Colorado is a beautiful state for being a craft distiller. Um, we, we're not a control state, as they call it, where we have to interact with the state government to sell our spirits. Like a lot of their 17 states in the U.S. where we can only sell to their government entity um, or via a distributor to their government entity. Um, we Colorado is a three-tiered system, which means that we um, typically have to, you know, use a supplier can't be a distributor, can't be a restaurant. But in Colorado, we can be all three of those things. We can be our own self-distributor. We can have a bar and restaurant affiliated with our license. Um, so for the first year, maybe year and a half, we were just selling rum out the door of our own tasting room and bar, and we were, um, and I was driving it around the state of Colorado. So I would load up my truck and um, with as many cases as I could fit, and go drive around the state of Colorado until. All those cases were gone, <laughs> sold awesome. to liquor stores or bars, uh, restaurants, and um, and I wouldn't allow myself to come home until the truck was empty. So it was a big incentive, especially because I had little, you know, I had an eight, six and an eight-year-old when I started the company. So um, so I wanted to get home. So I was just really motivated, would sell 40, 50 cases of rum out of the truck and then go home. Um, and then about a year and a half in, we got a distributor in Colorado, a big company, you know, billion-dollar company that for whatever crazy reason took us on early on. Um, I'll never forget walking through these big floor-to-ceiling, huge doors into these corporate offices and talking to these men in suits and just, you know, trying to sell them on my tiny little self-designed label on a bottle of rum. I mean, it was it was such a different operation back then. And for whatever reason, they took a chance on us and brought us into their portfolio as really maybe their first or second craft spirit. Now they probably have 40 different, 50 different craft spirits that they represent. Um, but they've stayed really committed to us all that time, and they sell a lot of rum in the state of Colorado all over to different kinds of, of accounts like bars, restaurants, liquor stores, events. You know, we do little mini bottles in the in the um, hotel rooms at the ski resorts and, you know, some of the big resorts in Colorado Springs that people come from all over the world to visit. So it's been, it's been 
fun to partner with them because even though they're a big corporation, they've been really thankful to have this little um, crafty partner that is such a contrast to Cardi or, you know, uh, Jim Beam. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love this. I love driving around with the cases and not letting yourself come back until uh, they were all. So that gave you, so you, you, you had to really put on your sales hat, I guess. Um, and uh, um, did you, I mean, so you moved from doing that and you got, then you got a large distributor, but you were still in Silverton, right? So you were there for three years. Is that where you had the 800 square feet? Yes. Yep. Okay. Three years. And we, at some point we bought a box truck and parked, <laughs> parked it out front and it was our warehouse. Um, and we put a big logo across the side of it. Um, and you know, it was hilarious cause you'd pull up and there'd be this box truck with our logo and people would think that it would be like our delivery truck for the rum, but it didn't even have an engine. <laughs> oh, that's it, it just sat there on the side of the road and held rum uh, until the, you know, until we could sell it or until at some point until the distributors started picking it up with their own truck. And they'd just back right up to the back of our box truck and we'd run it across and, um, and off it would go to a warehouse in Denver and then go in a thousand different directions. And then eventually we started picking up distribution with other companies um, in other parts of the country, so California, New England, and um, Texas. And how did you do that? Was that you going out and selling it, or yes, yes. Okay. I would just meet with you know the brand manager or the vice president of a distributor and say, hey, this is the rum. I would taste them on it. I would talk about kind of our approach and who we were, who we are, and they would say yes or no and and it was there's really low risk for them in taking a taking a chance on a, a new brand but if you don't increase your sales very quickly they can kind of boot you out the door how do you increase your sales quickly um you know a lot of times what happens is we've we've built a customer fan base from people coming to Colorado so right now in Crested Butte with our bar and and restaurant and tasting room where they can come and do a distillery tour. It's right in downtown Crested Butte. People come from Texas and Oklahoma and San Francisco and Boston and New York, and they get exposed to Montana distillers. And now we, you know, when we say, oh yeah, we have distribution in New York um, or New Jersey or San Francisco, um, they can go home and go into their local liquor store and ask for it by name and their liquor store owner will order it. And typically the owner will say, hey, um, maybe I'll throw some of this on the shelf since I have a customer that likes it. Um, and then that's how we've grown. So it's really different from the traditional model. The traditional model of selling alcohol is that you just, I call it fire hosing money, but you just fire hose money at, um, at distributors and sales reps give them all kinds of sales incentives and bonuses and you line their pockets with cash for every time they sell a case or a bottle of your product. And then you provide incentives for the um, people on the other end of the transaction, um, the, you know, the restaurant owner, you say, Hey, if you buy three bottles, we'll give you a bottle. Um, those types of programs, that's typically how it happens. 
Um, and I don't think that builds long-term customer loyalty. I think that only recruits the people who are looking for a deal. For and a deal. so I've yeah. taken a very different approach. It takes longer. It's a little harder. But it has worked to to grow us double digits every year, which I think is about all we can probably handle anyway. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you have you have sales reps, right? Because I think you mentioned you were going to be next month in New York. Or tell me about like what's your how are you set up now? <clears throat> do you have sales reps all over the country, or and do they get, how does that work? I don't have sales reps all over the country that are working for me, although I often have brand ambassadors, um, so people who uh, love our brand, maybe they're a bartender or they are a special events coordinator or something, and so I can call on them in all kinds of different markets. I have one that lives down in Tucson. I have one that lives in Denver. I have one back east. Um, I have one in Portland, Oregon, and I have one in Seattle and San Francisco, so I can call on them and say, hey, we want to do this event. Are you willing to come out and help? Or could you go and do a tasting for this restaurant that's interested in the product? Um, And we, you know, so what I do is I go to our distributors. And our distributors typically have, you know, some of them only have 10 sales reps and they're small and boutique. And some of them have 120 sales reps. And like in the case of Texas, I might have to go from – Austin to, you know, San Antonio to Dallas to Houston and, and present to 100 or 120 sales reps at a time. Um, and I, I train them. I do brand education. I help them to understand what the company is, what we do. Our, you know, we have one of the most deep and old sustainability philosophies of, you know, many companies in the U.S., not to mention distilleries. We were definitely one of the first to really take the sustainability ethos deep within every action of our company every day. And um, I tell that story. I give context. I have a beautiful visual presentation that talks about our water and our sugar cane and our, um, you know, all of the decisions that we've made about things. Um, And that's what we do. Um, so, you know, I'm working with hundreds of sales reps around the country, but they don't work directly for me. Yeah, they work. Okay. Gotcha. So you really, and I mean, cause that, that begs the question. I'm, I'm fascinated with, you know, something that's changed a lot since you started, as you mentioned there, you know, there weren't that many, um, and particularly there in Colorado, probably everywhere 10 years ago, not quite so many craft distillers as there are now. Um, and they're more and more all the time. How do you, and how do you help your brand stand out? What do you do to foster um, the brand and, and help it continue to um, be something that is top of mind for restaurants and bars and sales reps with distributors? And I mean, I know you, you travel and you said you do a lot of that, but what else do you do? I mean, because there's just so many now. Right. Um, I do a lot of different things, um, and I do a lot of, you know, throwing pasta at the wall and seeing what sticks, mm. too. And I've I've stopped doing a lot of things that I used yeah. to do that didn't really work. Um, probably the biggest thing I do is it's called brand education. Um, so I'll go to San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York City, and I'll um, throw a lunch for 
40 or 50 bartenders, and these are the tastemaker bartenders from the um, craft cocktail world, and I'll pick a central location and they can come and I'll provide them with cocktails and lunch and in exchange they give me an hour of their time to tell them the story of the company. They get to meet me personally, which is really hard to do with, you know, Jim Beam or or um, even some of the bigger um, companies, you know, big liquor companies. You don't ever get to meet the owner or the person yeah. who's making the spirit or who made all the decisions and designed the product. So I do a lot of that, and that's my most effective outreach. Um, and then I also do a lot of cocktail events where we, you know, have an opportunity to put the um, put the spirit into people's mouths, which also is really effective. So I go to rum festivals, and I go to Tales of the Cocktail, and all these kind of bigger events that are all focused on the cocktail world. Um, and I also uh, do, we have a PR team and, you know, we reach out to a lot of media and a lot of um, entities that bloggers and tastemakers that are online and we send them samples and I do um, interview conversations. You know, we get great articles, reviews, product reviews that are written about us. That's a really big thing um, for people who are interested, you know, so if someone says, gosh, I'm just getting interested in rum and I'm really interested in craft rum and then they jump online and they start, you know, doing a Google search or looking in their networks. Um, I want us to rise to the top of that. I want us to be the first American craft rum that sort of pops up in their search. So there's a lot of SEO and a lot of, um, uh, digital marketing and native marketing to take art great articles that have been written about us and kind of push them to the top of the list the lists of the world and gotcha. winning awards has been huge for us so we've won every significant award in the in the competitive world you know San Francisco World Spirits New York World Spirits the World Rum Awards um, we got. American Craft Distiller at the American Distilling Institute in 2015, um, Best Rum at you know at the Miami Rum XP, which is their expert panel. So um, we just submit to different competitions and pretty much always come out with a gold or a silver or sometimes a best in class. Um, so the rum itself is is good enough to stand on its own, regardless of what kind of marketing I might be doing. That's fantastic. Well, great product and great marketing. <laughs> how do you uh, how do you make your rum so good? It only has four ingredients, and those four ingredients are incredibly important. So um, we buy our sugar cane directly from farmers in Louisiana. Why Louisiana? Um, it's the northern. It's the closest uh, sugar cane crop to us in. Colorado. So it's the the highest latitude of, of sugarcane growing in the world. Um, we, you know, because we have a sustainability ethos and we're carbon offsetting every single shipment of sugarcane to us, um, it's great to bring it from close by. We used to get our sugarcane from Hawaii. And I, I must have had some sort of dream sequence, like premonition, but I had a feeling that they were not going to grow sugarcane anymore. Um, and even when they did, it was hard for us to certify that what we were getting was the Hawaiian cane from the Hawaiian Islands because it was being shipped to California 
and they wouldn't certify that it was American grown for us. So, um, so about five years, four and a half or five years ago, we switched over to Louisiana. We now know all these farmers in person. They come visit us in Colorado. We go visit them in Louisiana. They come with me sometimes to events and talk about how they grow our cane. It's milled on site um, in a in a mill that is 100% biomass operated. So the sugarcane fibers themselves are powering the the mill, and they're being burned to heat the um, you know the sugarcane juice when it's being boiled. And so it's it meets an incredibly high level of specs that I had for any partnership that we were going to uh, entertain. And we love them. They're like the nicest people in the world, really, literally, the sweetest, nicest people in the world. And they don't often get to interact with the end user of their sugar cane because it goes mm-hmm. to the refinery and then it goes gets made into table sugar and it gets shipped to you know, North Carolina, but they don't ever get to meet you when you're spooning it into your coffee on your table. So we send them rum, they give it out to their friends. It's all, it's all a really fun relationship. That's cool. Okay. So you got, okay. So we got sugar. All right. What's next? We have water, which is 60% of what is in any bottle of alcohol is water. Mm-hmm. And it's 80% of what goes into the making of any spirit. So um, we think choosing water is essential to a good spirit. Um, the the water that comes out of this aquifer here in the Rocky Mountains, 350 feet under our bottling facility, is a distiller's dream. It's like the most beautiful water you can imagine. It's percolated from snow melt and, um, you know, the the springs of out under our mountains and it goes down through the stone so it's kind of mineralized and and filtered naturally by the ground until it hits this aquifer about 350 feet under us we pull it directly from there from a well so it doesn't go into the municipal water source it doesn't get fluoridated and chlorinated and um so we don't have to deal with things that normal water suppliers put into water and normal distillers take out of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of my peers in the rum world who are distilling in, you know, Brooklyn or or San Diego or Chicago, they have to reverse osmosis filter their water before they put it in their bottle, or else they've got fluoride and chlorine and and minerals that and you know sometimes uh, hard elements like um, chemical elements that are just from going through the pipes or, or in the Caribbean, a lot of their water is really, um, it's come down on roofs and it's been collected. And so it's got a lot of metals, heavy metals in it. I didn't want any of that. Um, and we don't have to put an energy. We don't have to inject energy into creating good water. We get it right out of the ground. Gotcha. So water, um, and then, of course, yeast. Um, we have a really robust American strain of yeast that we use that we don't talk about because it's like the one thing we don't tell everybody about how we make our rum. And then, um, and then the final ingredient, just a tiny touch at bottling time, is a little, a little bit of Rocky Mountain honeybee honey. Mm. Raw honey that we turn into our own car- caramelized product. So we use an induction burner. We take uh, honey from the honeybees around us 
and we um, put it on an induction burner and turn it into almost this rock hard candy. And then we um, stir it back into, um, into the, the spirit right before we bottle. And what that does, it's so almost every rum maker uses a caramelized product of some kind, but a lot of people are buying, you know, kind of a factory caramel. And it's part of what makes rum too sweet, and it part, it's part of what makes people object to rum in general. We Ours is a low glycemic index. It's a local product that we control. We know where it came from. It's not refined. And um, for, for 450 bottles of rum, like 750 milliliter bottles of rum, it's only um, – it fits in both, you know, my cupped hands, both my cupped hands. Like, it's really a tiny little bit. Uh, yeah. It takes the edge off the alcohol at 80 proof. It um, brings out a lot of the natural flavors of the barrel and the sugar cane. Um, so it's pretty subtle, pretty hard to detect, but it's part of what makes our rum unique. So four ingredients, that's it, ever, and high, high-quality ingredients. And just like if you were making – bread or soup or, you know, any sort of product, the higher quality your ingredients, the, the yummier the, the final product is going to be. All right. So you've, you've got me, you've hooked me. I'm, I, I want to drink your room, but I'm in North Carolina. I don't think you have it here, do you? We have one of these strange states that probably is hard to sell into. It's hard to sell into. Um, it's, it's not impossible. Um, we are a special order item. So if if a bartender or a liquor store owner said, I want to get some Montani rum, they would place a special order with the state of North Carolina. The state of North Carolina would contact me and I would send them rum. It's not the most economical way um, and it's not the most, you know, efficient method. Um, But what, what is starting to really come down the pike, and I don't know enough about North Carolina specifically, I probably should have looked that up, um, is internet retail of spirits. Um, and sometimes they can ship into control states and sometimes they can't. So I don't really know where North Carolina falls on that rule structure. Um, but there are all these amazing online retailers cropping up um, who will ship you hard-to-find spirits right to your door. Um, and we're finding that that's one of our biggest categories of growth in our company is um, – is internet retail because we are on your site. Is it Drizzly? Is that what what you, that is? Okay. Yep. Drizzly is amazing because you just, it geotag, you know, just like you can tell it to use your location and it'll tell you liquor stores and restaurants all around you, mostly liquor stores on Drizzly where you can get the product. And then, um, and then, you know, if you say I want it delivered and there's a retailer near you that does, alcohol delivery, which is also becoming way more common, then again, it just shows up on your doorstep uh, and pay for it online with a credit card. It's so easy. Mm, that's awesome. Like in okay. New York City and San Francisco and Los Angeles and Chicago, that, people don't even hardly go to their liquor stores anymore because it's just, you know, it's a pain to park and it's a pain to get access and then walk with heavy bottles back to your car and the parking garage or whatever. So you just go online and you, you know, put put it in your cart and you say I want it delivered and you pay for it, and boom, there it is. 
Now, I see, okay, so then you've also got like seven countries. Like how do you go, how do you pick those countries and how do you, how does that process work? We have a partner. Um, we have a couple of partners, but really we have one primary partner. And they buy our rum in bulk from FOB Crested Butte, as they say, you know, freight on board in Crested Butte. And um, we ship it in bulk, which means unbottled in a barrel to um, specifically into Valencia, Spain. Um, they they grab it in Valencia, Spain, and they take it to um, this particular region of Spain called Jerez, which is J-E-R-E-Z. Jerez, Spain is where sherry is made, and there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of infrastructure there. So they bottle it in a bottling uh, facility in Jerez, and it looks just like Montaña rum would if you were in Colorado, um, except it has all the EU stamps and marks and, you know, language requirements fulfilled. And then um, they they sell it to, you know, in, in it's beautiful in Europe because you don't have to have a distributor interface partner. You can just, my partner can sell direct to a liquor store or to a bigger company that has 120 beautiful liquor stores around France or around Spain. And those are more of the deals that we've been doing is with those customers who want uh, a certain amount of rum every month or every three months delivered, and they're going to supply their entire um, set of beautiful stores like El Corte Inglés in Spain. Or um, So we're it's, it's a relatively new relationship um, for us, only about a year and a half old, and it's taken a lot of work to kind of kick down the hurdles. Um, they had to rent a, a warehouse to be able to hold the empty bottles and the full bottles, and that took some time getting certified with the you know federal government of Spain. But we've kicked down every hurdle so far, and we think that that's a that's has potential to outgrow our U.S. market in the in the next. Um, 12 to 18 months. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, what a cool story. Uh, um, what an amazing story. I mean, that's fascinating to me, just having the idea four months later there you are. And did you know, I mean, did you know how to make rum before? I mean, I, you, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from, I'm from Maine and every, every uh, Mainer from a lobster fishing family has a lobster pot in their basement or that they pull out twice a year and, you know, make live boiled Maine lobsters for all their friends. And so our first uh, batches of rum were made in my lobster pot on our um, <laughs> stovetop. Um, it was hilarious. And uh, I, you know, I can't say it was good. I can't say that any of the early tastings were anybody getting really excited about how great Montani rum was going to be? Um, you need copper involved to attract sulfur and impurities out of uh, a rum fermentation because sugarcane, one of the byproducts of its fermentation, is sulfur. And so um, it wasn't great, but you know, um, I I had some great mentors early on. Um, you know, at the Peach Street Distillers, which was one of the first and most beautiful uh, craft distilleries in Colorado. Uh, they were so helpful and supportive from day one. 
um, and answered those deep questions that nobody else in the world seemed to be able to answer. And so um, I've formed a lot of great partnerships um, with other companies that were ahead of me in line, like Leopold Brothers and Stranahan's Whiskey. Um, the head distiller for Stranahan's back in the day has become a dear friend and really, um, you know, just mentored me through a lot of challenges over time. So I can't say I am, you know, that anybody in our operation is a is a master distiller, tra- you know, trained at some institute because that is really hard to access and it doesn't exist. There's like one institute in Chicago, but um, but we've done a lot of training and we um, attended a lot of trainings and seminars and really over time educated ourselves a lot. I've met with barrel makers and come to understand the science and the art behind in the barrel and that kind of stuff, but really self-taught. Love it. Love it. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try Drizzly and then I'm going to uh, see if I can get some, some of your rum shipped to my house. I, 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 I just really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story. And of course we appreciate um, your business at Schedulefly. And um, so she, Karen actually reached out uh to us, which I was so excited about, because we don't, I don't, you know, I feel like the sugar folks down in Louisiana, we have enough customers now, I don't know them all, and I don't know who they all are, and so when I hear from someone like you, uh, it just makes my day, and I appreciate it very much. Well, we are such huge fans of what Schedulefly does. We have 23 employees, and multiple shifts, and, you know, everybody needs to know who's where, when, and who to contact about what, and we all you know, interface with the app and with the, you know, online on our computers all day, every day with Schedulefly. I'm sometimes in, you know, in another town or another city and I need to know who's at the tasting room right now so that I can ask them to do a tour for this VIP who just, you know, called me and said, hey, I'm in town. And um, it's such a powerful tool for us. We couldn't survive without it. And we're so thankful for you guys uh, helping us to be more efficient and capable we use it as our event calendar so everybody knows when we have live music or when we've got a big group of ski club people coming in or whatever and we use it as our time clock for all of our labor and i run a thousand reports you know a month out of it so thank you thank you thank you for doing what you do oh man that was really nice of you i really appreciate that very much um i love me to say all that what's that (laughs) You didn't ask me to say that. No, I didn't. I, that's really, that's to I appreciate it. That's really cool of you. Well, listen, I can't. I got to get out there. I told you, you know, when we were kind of communicating about this. I'm. I mean, I grew up in North Carolina. I've been here my whole life. I grew up skiing in the, the North Carolina mountains on you know slush and ice and um, man-made snow, and started making my way out west uh, in my teenage years, and obviously fell in love with the. the <laughs> The mountains out there, so I, I go whenever I can. I've always wanted to go to Crested Butte, so uh, I got to make this happen. This is I, I, I just I want to I want to get out there. I've always wanted to be there, and gosh, it would be so much fun to hang out with y'all. So um, please do, please do, because it's a spectacular place. We love to provide the red carpet treatment for some of our important partners where we do you know, discounted hotel rooms in the in the lodges up on the mountain and we can do um you know, we we love to purvey rum cocktails and 
great food and, um, you know, tours and tastings, and uh, we'd love to have you. Count on it. Count on it. That's, I'm going to keep my eye on it next year. I did my – I got my – I got my trip in this year. I went to Grand Targhee. Um, oh, they, nice. It was sort of a last-minute thing, and they were—they were—they've been getting dumped on like, like for several months. And so, finally, I had, I had a <laughs> yeah, I had a great trip out there. Um, so I'm probably done for the year this year. I, my wife is wonderful to let me take time and go with three young kids at home. Uh, so, but I don't think I'm going to ask twice. But next year, uh, I'm going to try to—I'm going to try to make it happen. I really am. I, I would love to do it, and this just gives me all the more inspiration. So. Um, All right. Karen, we'll see thank you, you. You bet. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you very much for the business. Uh, tell your team that uh, we love serving y'all and we appreciate it. And you guys are awesome. And just good luck. I'm inspired. I'm, I'm going to go get some of your rum somehow. Awesome. Well, go to davidsonsliquors.com online if you can't find it through Drizzly and okay. as far as I can tell they ship all over the country and they are a great customer of ours and they've done a really good job with our products so I'd love to uh, encourage anyone in any state to go take a look at davidsonsliquors.com and if they're looking for hard to find craft spirits davidsonsliquors.com I'll be on it today I appreciate it Karen right. thank you so much alright take care you too bye